Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode. We're so excited to be here in downtown Columbia. We have an incredible guest, somebody who has a story that, that I hope a lot of people know, but I hope a lot of people get to learn her story and how she ended up to what she's doing today and becoming an important fabric of our community. And um, I'm excited to have Cassie Aaliyah Ray here today as our guest. Cassie, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we're excited that you're here. And, you know, I think today some people don't know your story. And I think it'd be great if we started. So Cassie founded Serve and Connect. And I'm not going to tell you all what it is because I'm going to allow her to do that. But how she got to serve and connect is an important part of the story. Um, and I think it captured a lot of people's hearts, minds, and thoughts, but also saw it as an avenue for really to get involved in our community and understanding the importance of bridging and connecting people. So, Cassie, tell us, tell us how you got to serve and connect and then tell us about serve and connect. Yeah. Well, it's truly an honor to be on getting to connect with you and to be able to celebrate the amazing city that is Columbia. I'm originally not from Columbia. I was born and raised in Maryland, but Columbia has certainly been my home, a place that's seen me through some really hard times and a place that I'm proud to build a legacy that I hope can impact not only our city, but many, many others across our country. So, getting a little bit to those hard times. So Serving Connect, we're a nonprofit that has the mission of fostering positive change through sustainable police and community partnerships. Essentially what we envision is a future where police and citizens are working together as one community to address root causes of crime and promote safety so that everyone can thrive. And it's an organization I founded after my husband, Greg, who is a police officer with the city of Forest Acres, was shot and killed in the line of duty on September 30th of 2015. And you know, Greg, when I think back about him, he had so many amazing qualities, but I think his kindness was his superpower. It's what made him an amazing husband, and then when we welcomed our son Sal, a really great dad. And from everything I learned, it's also what made him an amazing police officer. But when I found out that he was killed, I mean, of course, like my whole world was turned upside down. In that moment, I had lost my best friend, my partner, the father of my child, my stability, my future. And with all that, my grief was compounded by something else. If you think back, to 2015, there were a lot of similarities to really what we've seen these past few years. Um, it was really at the start of what would become our modern social justice movement, this modern unrest that we've seen. And, you know, even before Greg died, that divisiveness really impacted me. It felt like everywhere I turned uh, were very... Uh, divided messages, and it felt like what they said was that you could either be for police or for community, that you, you had to pick a team, pick a side, and that didn't make sense to me, and I felt really called, especially after his death. I knew that nothing could ever bring him back, but I wanted to find a way 
to make a difference, to bring people together, to create healing moving forward. I just wasn't quite sure what that would be. That launched me into a process of deep listening, learning, exploration, trying to understand where this divisiveness was coming from, where this distrust was coming from, and importantly, find ways that we could bring people together. So it's a really long story. I'm happy to share as much or as little. Uh, But inevitably, what I came to see was that at the end of the day, what we police citizens want is more the same than it is different. That we want our communities to be safe, our families to be protected, and our children to thrive. But in order to make that happen, we have to come together. No one person, no one organization can build safe, thriving communities alone. Police are an important part of the public safety system, but they're just one piece, one spoke on the wheel. And to build safe, thriving communities requires us to work together as one team, one community with that shared vision. Um, But it's not always easy. Actually, it can be really, really hard. And that's where Serve and Connect comes in, really seeking to build those bridges, uh, create the opportunity for uh, police and community partners to shine, to come together over shared goals, to tackle the greatest challenges they face, and to uh, build safe, thriving communities for all. You talked about it's, it's part of the spoke, and there are many spokes to make that happen. Talk a little bit about those spokes. Who are that? What organizations? How do we fill those gaps? You know, because... Like anything, it doesn't matter if it's business or whatever. We don't spend enough time analyzing things using data to fill gaps because gaps are the things that divide people. It keeps things from happening. You know, we don't have growth because we have gaps. We can't spend more money in the city locally because we have gaps in how to, to, to build up these small businesses. So we're seeing that. So from, from a law enforcement, a social aspect what are those spokes that that help us fill that gap to 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 bring that bridge because that's what serve and connect is become the hub but for a hub to be successful it has to have spokes and outliers you know you're so right and i think one of the biggest weaknesses that we have is we're so focused on what we don't have We're so focused on the gaps and the challenges. And if you're only looking at the challenges, it's going to be really impossible for us to climb that mountain. And at Serve and Connect, what we are really grounded in beyond like our, our, our why, our conceptual, meaningful why, is also uh, based on research and data of what community policing is supposed to be. So community policing is a term that most people know, but very few people really understand. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> you know, some people think it's about handing out just simply about stickers or ice cream cones, or some people think it's about being soft on crime. Others think it's not about being proactive enough. But really, at the heart and soul of what community policing is supposed to be, it's about partnerships that help address root causes of crime and promote shared problem solving. And uh, it's something that... Um, you know, this term that gets thrown around and misunderstood, but then when it comes to being implemented in practice, there's such great variability in what that looks like. And a part of it is that we have really limited frameworks that show us how to do community policing well. And that's what we're working on building through Serving Connect, our frameworks, structured scaffolds that can be used uh, in different communities to help really identify what are the local needs, 
what are the assets, what, what are the gifts, the resources that are in place, and how do we help uh, bridge those resources to help tackle challenges? You know, generally speaking, the spokes on the wheel do include police. Uh, they include faith-based communities, local governments, uh, social service organizations, neighborhood associations, uh, education, very critically, the people themselves, residents who have that lived experience. If you're talking about violence, for instance, people who have a lived experience of living in or experiencing direct violence, working together to uh, develop solutions that can make a lasting impact. In Colombia, uh, we are so blessed in that we are rich with so many resources. But I think our greatest challenge is... Uh, that we have been so used to working in silos for far too long. And if we really want to make a difference, and we've done so much well, but if we really want to take Columbia to the next level, it's going to require us to do something different, and I believe that something different is being willing to come together, to open up, to extend that olive branch, to deeply listen and see how we can work together as one team uh, to build safe, thriving communities for all. You talked about different challenges, you know, shared problem solving, different groups, working in silos. One of the things I've, I've seen that I think is hard is getting the folks from some of these challenged areas. And it, and it is, if you looked at the crime statistics for Columbia, South Carolina on a data basis, you would, you would worry about certain areas, but it's very concentrated in those areas. I mean, this is a block by block. But how do we get those folks in the block by block to the table? You know, what's been the secret for you or, or, or being able to draw them in? Because, you know, I think moms are a major role in this. But when I've gone to a lot of these events, it's very few moms there. How do we get the rest of the folks involved? Because I do think they're the first step to helping that, that young person and, and getting into the route because, you know, it's not just resources, it's atmosphere, it's housing, uh, it's, you know, right now there are more jobs available in Columbia, South Carolina than there's ever been as long as I've been in this town, but people aren't going to them. How, you know, what's that bridge gap or what's, what's the thing that you think has helped and the thing that you believe will help us as a community if we invest in it to make that happen? I know that's a tough question, but you, 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 you've been on the ground. You've seen it from a totally different angle, and you've created some really good relationships with folks. Thank you. I think with Serve and Connect, our goal is really to create the space, the opportunity for people to come together, to have their voices be heard, and to build relationships with one another. The answers don't come from me. They don't come from Serve and Connect. The answers come from those who live and serve in different neighborhoods. Um, and when we're talking about tackling violence, those answers come from the people who live and serve in the neighborhoods that are tackling the violence. But, you know, people are exhausted. They've been exhausted before the pandemic, but you pile a pandemic, you pile unrest, you pile violence all on top of it, and you have police officers, you have residents, you have people who are doing the service work. I'm sure people working in the city are tired. And I think with that, we got to get a little bit of our spark back. 
And so, yes, we have very significant challenges that we need to face. I agree with you. If you were to look at just the statistics, we'd think that, you know, Columbia is on fire, but really it's concentrated, um, which no neighborhood in Columbia should experience that level of violence, but also helps us see that it's a manageable, you know, it's, it's not like we're tackling it across the entire city, but if we can come together to invest resources and partnerships in those areas, that I think we have the potential to make a huge impact. Uh, but to tackle those big issues, I, you know, something I so often hear is people say that, uh, you know, I'm done with talking, I want to take action. And I agree with that, but Something we also have to caution ourselves on is that if we want our action to be effective, we have to have a relationship first. Because if we're not willing to speak to one another, to trust one another, if we don't know one another, that action is going to fall flat. It's going to fall flat because it's not going to be really linked to the needs and the opportunities of those who live and serve. And also when challenges uh, emerge, which they will, um, we're not going to be able to sustain our efforts. And so those relationships are key to sustaining our work. And so how do we build relationships? Consistency and presence. Sometimes fun conversations. We have a, you know, we have different icebreakers we use. And one of them is um, what's the best fast food French fry? You know, sometimes like silly light things are a chance to connect, but that also opens the door for much harder and deeper conversations. And when those come, we have to be willing to lean in. And when we do, we see that we are all people. Uh, with who want essentially the same thing and that uh, we're willing to, to come together to make that happen. And so I think the biggest answer I'd say is presence, consistency, and uh, letting our guard down, being vulnerable. And, you know, so often I think that uh, the divisiveness that we're seeing is coming from a place of fear. We're afraid that if we let our guard down, that we will be letting down the people that we love, that we are no longer protecting them. But it is precisely the opposite thing that we need to do if we want to make a difference. Uh, that protection, that fear, isn't going to drive change forward. Only us leaning in is going to make that happen. And, you know, it's it's a big mountain to climb. Uh, but, you know, something I really love, I came across a study not long ago that talked about if you want to get at real culture change, uh, you know, it, it, we really only have to engage 25% of a population before we see those scales tip. And so people may be on different levels of readiness, and that's okay. But if the people who are ready can come together, the people who are willing, and the people who have the right intentions and the heart for it come together, I think we're going to be able to see those uh, scales tip. That's funny. 25%. It's a number I've been using with... Um some programs that we want to put together and launch out in the community, one of them being Love Your Block, where there's funding behind improving your 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 neighborhood if it's signs and flowers. But the commitment is you got to have 25% of, uh, of your community involved. It can't be like we've shown up to events where there's 99 people from outside the community and one there. That that doesn't change anything. We got to have sweat equity and we got to bring the people to the, so I, I find that number interesting because it's a number we've been using as we've been talking to people, as we're formulating these, these plans and how we can tie promotional dollars and public art and other things to that in targeted areas to improve the quality of life. And having that honest conversation with some of the leaders, I think they start to understand that, you know, Somebody coming in every few months to help out, but nobody's there creates no sustainability. 
it's just another oak, you know, and it moves on, and we just keep the hamster on the wheel. I mean, so I think that's interesting. Um, you talked about challenges. You, you've talked about what y'all have done, but what's what's the one thing you think is hindering us building those relationships? I, I know that's a hard question, so you may, if, you, if it's more than one thing, but you know, I think it'd be good for people to hear what what you you're seeing serve connect and your volunteers and the folks who are coming to to the table see is what's hindering us and and how do we take that hindrance and turn it into a positive? I think one of the greatest challenges to coming together is uh, distrust. There are a lot of people over the years that have come in said. They were going to make a difference, took a picture and left. I think that's especially challenging. You know, I, I'm a proud USC grad. I got my bachelor's, master's, and PhD from USC. You mean I got to start calling you doctor? Doctor. <laughs> no. Um, and I have had a lot of experience in more academic, traditional research. Um, and I think... With that, not only the research, but overall, we have to be very aware of, um, we can have good intentions, but when we're diving in to try to do the work, um, being sure that we can sustain it and that it may be a great idea, but these are real people's lives that are being touched. And um, I think coming at it with a little bit of grace and understanding for why that distrust is there is important. Uh, I think also we have to change the way we're used to doing business. Something that I love, uh, you mentioned that sweat equity. Um, along those lines, you also talked about when working with various leaders, I think we've had um, a learned way of doing business where we uh, have been used to very just giving out uh, more like handouts versus hand ups and there are amazing people in Colombia and every neighborhood in Colombia. And if we believe in people, believe that people have the skills and the answers and with a little bit of support and uh, strategic thinking, you know, and believing in them that we can make a real difference. So I think we also need to change a little bit the way we're, we're used to, to making, um, making a difference. And I believe that uh, what I've seen you do is really showing that belief in people and helping them, uh, to find that self-empowerment and direction. Um, and I think that's a good example of shifting um, shifting the norms that we've been used to. Well, we got to shift the narrative. I mean, we got to change that, and we got to show people that there's opportunities and, and what we've been doing is not working, and it's okay to do something else. You know, I couldn't even add up how much money's been spent trying to tackle issues and people believe it's just a money thing and money well money runs out and then the effort runs out and and people don't take the opportunity to figure out a different way to to further causes um everybody's got a solution uh it's the one thing i've discovered i probably there's probably six or seven different plans on my desk that people have have offered but none of those groups are talking to each other it goes back to the silos. So at some point, we got to break that up and say, all right, everybody has a role here. 
and collaboratively, which is a word in Columbia, South Carolina, that has not been traditionally accepted and used. I mean, we even, you know, if it's in the tech space or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, that was one of the the characteristics in studies done about Columbia is, is that everybody expect government to do it and there was no collaborative. And I don't know if it was easy to blame government when things fail, but the collaboration, what we're trying to do is get more people to table to collaborate. Because if, if you if you look at it from a Midland standpoint, we got all the mayors working on it. We got all the, the sheriff and the police department working together. Community activists is working together, not against each other, because they think that person got more funding than that person, or and these are petty little things, but they're they're some of the inhibitors. Um, so I find it interesting is as we try to go through this process is how, how do we get everybody to the table? And sometimes I think the hardest people to get to the table are the first ones to come to the table, all depending on how you ask the question. So. Well, and I also think that. We need to start where there's momentum as well. There are, one of the things I love most about Columbia, and, you know, before Greg died, I thought once I graduated with my doctorate that uh, it was inevitable that I would have to move. But after I saw how the community wrapped their arms around us, just what an incredible, loving, supportive, incredible community that we have here. Uh, I knew this was my home. And as I started getting more and more involved in this work, uh, I really began to see that if you are someone who is passionate and wants to make a difference, you can do it in Columbia. Uh, We have some real movers and shakers, people who have had big dreams and have brought them to life here. And I think we can't be so focused on what we don't have or where their deficits are or, um, you know, sometimes certain people just need a little bit more time. They may not be ready. But if we can come together with the people who are, I think uh, we can really inspire a path forward uh, that shows what's capable when we come together and uh, to show that the intentions are right and that it does make a difference and um, hopefully let some of that fear go away and those walls break down and build a little bit more hope together. And I think another thing we have to remember is that no one can do it alone. There's no one solution that's going to be able to address the challenges that we face. And even if there was like that one person, that one organization can't do it alone, it's too much. Uh, And so there's not a scarcity here. There's an abundance. And I think our, us working on building that muscle to appreciate that abundance and um, see that when when others shine, we all shine. Uh, I think bit by bit we can we can move the needle. You, you've done a lot of study and you've read some incredible case studies. I know you, you, you put your heart and soul in anything. If, if you could pick a community out there that you read about or studied about, it really made some strides that you you say you know that would be a good thing for us to 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 grab a hold of some of the concepts they've done could you pick one so i have been so thankful for our partnerships with columbia with the columbia police department richley county sheriff's department and very critically the many social 
um, partners, residents that we've worked together with over the past few years to build in particular our compass model. Um, you know, I wasn't quite sure when we got it launched really what I was doing, but thank goodness for Chief Holbrook and Deputy Chief Kelly, and I could go on and on about the amazing partners who have created this framework. Uh, you know, it was grounded in uh, some of my background when coming from a public health perspective, uh, some of the things that I saw worked in other areas, but uh wasn't quite sure where it was headed here. Um, but then a few, maybe like two years into the work, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Phil and Amada Tingaridis from the Los Angeles Police Department. And as they described their community safety per- partnership program, the CSP, uh, what they described was 10 years of consistent outreach, consistent meetings. It was pretty rocky early on, but they showed up every single week and came together and through that they were able to see really significant improvements in the Watts neighborhood which is pretty infamous Mm -hmm. over the years and uh, when I heard about their model I just I mean a million like fireworks were going off just so excited because what they were describing was very aligned with what we were attempting to do over here Uh, and so that gave me hope but and it also showed me that this is not Um, something that's going to happen over the night. We have to be in it for the long haul. We have to stay committed and focused. And there will be bumps and bruises along the way, but it's in uh, sticking it out and seeing that through and working through those hard times. Uh, It took them 10 years to see that change. So this work is is not for the faint of heart. It's not something um, that we're going to see progress uh, week to week. But I believe, and the pandemic really hurt. But if uh, I'm proud of our partners for seeing it through and sticking it out. And um, that's what it's going to take. And because of our work here in Columbia, we are learning more about a model that, you know, the CSP is incredible, but it's only based in LA. And because of the partnerships here in Columbia and throughout the Midlands, we are able to learn what are, what's kind of the secret sauce that can help uh, this uh, support other communities across the country. It's, um, you know, people forget the problem didn't happen last week. Yep. It took decades to get to where we are. We're not going to fix it overnight. And, and I do think there, there are folks who believe that a big drop of cash is, and, and, and a program that's unproven could instantly fix something. Um, so we're trying to get people's expectations about how we come together, how we work through this together and over a period of time, and know that we're going to take several steps back at points, but we're also going to jump ahead at other avenues and just trying to, to gauge or, or levelize people's expectations is, look, we can't fix this overnight and we can't do it alone. I think it's been one of the challenges I see. Um, and sometimes it's being willing to like the way that we show up in those hard times is really what defines us. Oh, and yeah. uh, I think that's, that's so important to keep in mind. Um, and I think another thing is, I appreciate very much so the real sense of urgency because there are people that are dying and there is a real sense of urgency. But we have to stay focused and we have to stay focused on the big picture of what we're working towards together. It's not 
about the Cassie show. It's not the serving connect show. It's, it's about what is our vision and it's about building safe, thriving communities. And for all of us, that's for many of us, that's our goal. Well, and, and you know, one of the things I think that drives me crazy, it's a perfect example. The headline this week in the newspaper insinuated that the, 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 the shootings that happened, you know, the first three were in five points. When reality is, is the story they needed to be talking about is the 15-year-old shot in Colonial Heights at the hot spot, not showing a picture from 2020 of a bunch of kids lined up in five points. The reality is, is the gunshots, the 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 neighborhoods that are suffering from people shooting at night, from these hundreds of shots that happen over a course of a month that Shot Spotter picks up, petty crimes are, are killing our neighborhoods that are less fortunate. But our media doesn't want to talk about that. They, if you go back and look, they hadn't talked about the ninety-six shootings that we've had. You know, they they're they're talking about what they think sends a message and it drives me crazy because I do think they have a role in this and they're not playing it for one reason or another. And the reality is, is we need people to know that, that kids are making decisions and arguing and using a gun to solve it. And it's just not acceptable. I mean, you're, you've, you've said hit so many important points. One of the biggest things that comes to my mind is, One of the big turning points for me in this work, you know, before Greg died, this was nothing that was already in the works. Uh, I certainly didn't expect my husband to be killed. And at the time of his death, I was doing work that I was really passionate about and loved. But I just continually felt called to take action. But I wasn't sure how I could best show up. Spent a lot of time listening, learning, really seeking to understand. And one of the biggest turning points for me, I'll never forget, I um, was in the car, had a long work trip to Atlanta, or a few hours in the car, and I was racking my brain just thinking about how I could show up in that courtroom and face the person who took my husband's life. This individual who, you know, I was doing my best, I felt like, to stay afloat. And every time I I had to think about him or think about the case, it was like I was being brought into, like, this pit of hate. And I was just struggling to keep my head above water. And it wasn't until I imagined how I would feel if I were the mother of the man who killed Greg that immediately I pictured him just like my own little boy, so filled with hope and possibilities And I realized then and there how much we had in common, his family and I, how much we all had lost. And I realized that while I didn't know this man's story, I understood that there were too many factors that uh, could have brought him to that place. And I really saw just how intertwined our stories were. And I say all that to say that until we can appreciate that everyone who lives in Columbia is our neighbor, Everyone here is a part of our world family and that I may live on the forest acre side of town, but what's happening, you talk about Capitol Heights is just as important as what's happening in my neighborhood until we can all appreciate that. We're never really going to make a difference. But in, in, in that same breath, I think we, we've got to help people have pride back in their own neighborhood because the fabric's broken. 
haven't been on ride-alongs and spent a lot of time, unfortunately, seeing things that I really had hoped I'd never see in our community, I realize our folks don't know each other. Amen. We have to have a sense of community within our own neighborhoods as well. I'll never forget, it was um, the summer of 2019, and we had already had a summer event series planned. And uh, our next event coming up was in the Colony Apartments. Uh, But a few days before, we learned uh, that there had been a really tragic shooting um, where one individual shot another uh, just right out in the, the front yard and that a lot of neighbors saw it happen. And so the team rallied together, sought to find, we discussed, should we have the event, should we not? I decided it was important to show up, but that we should do our best to bring support for mental health and trauma response. And I'll never forget being at that event, talking to one of the residents, and I was just like, I'm so sorry for what you experienced. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, one of your neighbors was killed. That must have been so traumatic. She was like, well, I didn't know him. And I was like, but it happened in your own community. And she was like, yeah, it was my next door neighbor. And I thought that was so telling is, again, getting to this fatigue, this isolation, this lack, this disconnection. I think people are really hurting. And it's it starts with creating opportunities to build a sense of community and get to know one another again. Um, and if we don't have that foundation, it's going to be really hard to make a difference. But when we come together, see we have so much more in common than we do different and care for one another, see how connected we all are, then that's where the magic's going to happen. So I'm going to ask you a hard one. And may not, it's probably easier for you than it is. But, I mean, what do you see or what do you think the city could do to improve Well, when we talked earlier about, I've really loved hearing your examples of when you have come in contact with some great ideas, taking that business mindset to thinking about how to help them grow and thrive. And I think that is a beautiful way to start is there are incredible people here who are doing incredible things and have great ideas and I think that approach really shows that belief in them and giving the opportunity for those ideas to, to shine. Uh, and so I think that's something that I, I really appreciate. And also the intentionality around uh, pushing hiring um, has been been important. I've also appreciated the dedication to the police department uh, and focusing on increasing the pay. Our officers are struggling, they're hurting right now, and I think that's been an important focus area. So from what I'm seeing, I see a lot going right, um, and especially if the the council can continue to work together as a team to uh, build a stronger Columbia for us all. I think that's really important. Same, same type of question, but around law enforcement. What do you what do you think's missing in law enforcement? You know, is it training? Is it technology? Is it, you know what's going to help us? You know, as we all we are having hiring issues, we're having retaining issues. The burnout rate is, you know, it's it's not just mental health that they're dealing with as an agent or an officer, but their own mental health. I mean, what what can we do to 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 improve law enforcement? I have been so proud and thankful uh, 
for the opportunity to work with the incredible men and women who serve in the Columbia Police Department. I have seen them do so much more while still having so much less. And I've seen them sweat uh, over grills, grilling hot dogs, playing games with kids after working all night long. I have seen them face the most challenging and heartbreaking of situations only to continue to go out and connect with their community. I've seen them face really terrible situations, um, lots of hate, and continue to serve our community. So, you know, certainly there are always ways that we can improve, um, and I really commend Chief Holbrook and Deputy Chief Kelly for their uh, commitment to 21st century policing. Uh, we should be proud. We have one of the most innovative departments in the country when it comes to community policing and use of also innovative enforcement tactics as well. And um, we should be really proud of them. And I know firsthand that Chief Holbrook has been continually open to new ways to continue to advance. But right now, I think the answer lies with our community showing up for them. Our, they're hurting. They are working overtime. These officers are exhausted. And I, I think right now, it's the chance for us to show up for them and show how much we appreciate and support them and help them get through this tough time. So veer off the path a little bit here. Sal's favorite restaurant to go eat at. <laughs> so we are huge fans of Il Giorgione. Um, I love them so much. And Sal calls it the breadstick restaurant. <laughs> so that man can pummel some of those um, crunchy breadsticks. Like, no, it's nobody's business. So have you taken them to the Olive Garden where they have endless breadsticks? Okay, so one of the things that I love the most about Columbia is, and I hope that only continues to grow, is our indie kind of spirit. I love the locally owned restaurants and businesses, and I hope that only continues to grow, and I love supporting them. So keep them coming because they're awesome, and uh, and it really builds that sense of community as well to give a chance to connect with other people in, in the city. Yeah, we want to continue to, to, to grow that um, area. One of the things we haven't talked about is, is Serve and Connect is – has multiple programs, and one I got to participate in was Greg's Groceries, <laughs> which was I've never seen so much food in one place get packed up so quickly. And and the cross-section of law enforcement, I mean, they were from everywhere, and everybody knew exactly where they were going with their boxes. Tell us a little about Greg's Groceries. Not everybody knows about Greg's Groceries, but it's an incredible program. Thanks. I loved having you there, and I know it meant so much. And I was very impressed. You did not just come for the picture. You worked, <laughs> and you worked hard, and uh, that meant a lot That's because to the usually there. I downgrade pictures when I'm in them, so I <laughs> try to make up for it in a different you way. You were doing the hard work. You stuck it through the event. I was very impressed. Uh, so Greg's Groceries is our program where we provide boxes of non-perishable food to police so when they come across people in need, they're able to help. A few months before Greg died, I'll never forget, I was standing in our kitchen, and Greg said, I was asking him about what he thought about the divisiveness in our country, and he said, you know, Cassie, for every one negative story you hear, there are thousands of positive stories happening every day that go unnoticed. 
I've been very proud and thankful in these nearly seven years since his death. I still hear new stories about the way he changed lives. And I'm proud of Greg, and he's special to me. But I also am proud that he's not unique, that every single day police officers are coming in contact with people in crisis, and they're finding ways to help out of their own pockets often. And what we recognize is that those engagements are opportunities, uh, opportunities to provide more resources and support to officers because they really are the front line to people in crisis, uh, but also a way to further strengthen their community engagement and to help support them in doing what they were called to do in the first place, and that's to help people and to make their community a better place. And so it's been incredible through Greg's Groceries. What I love about it, it's not really about feeding people. It is, yes, it can help address a hunger need in a moment, but it is really about the fact that food can bring people together. And I'll tell you a story here in Columbia. Officer Joe Chaladko shared a story uh, where he came across a car that was parked in the median, and when he came up to it, it was a woman clearly distraught, wouldn't even look at him. Uh, He kind of guessed that maybe she had experienced some sort of domestic situation. Um, But he saw that there were groceries on her seat that seemed to be spoiling. And so he went to the back of his car, grabbed a box of Greg's groceries. And he said when he walked up to the car with that box, that was the first time he had seen that woman smile. And it opened a door to a conversation where she opened up about what she had been experiencing, that she was fleeing an abusive relationship and was scared for her kids, scared of where she would go had no place to put these groceries that she had bought the night before, but came home to this horrific situation. And because of that conversation, he was able to uh, get her more help. Um, And that's just one example of many. Another thing that I love through Greg's Groceries is that it's bringing agencies together across our state um, and helping them feel not so alone. It can be very isolating during these times, and they can see that, they're not alone in this effort. They're part of something bigger, and those ripples are incredible. Like I think about Corporal Tomlin from Horry County and Sergeant Staggers in Charleston, who through meeting through Greg's Groceries now talk weekly and bounce back different ideas and also just provide support to one another during these hard times. And that's what it's all about is these ripples. You know, in Horry County, when I met with them, there was a chaplain there, and he shared the reason he got into law enforcement was uh, his family had some pretty bad abuse that was happening. And there was one time law enforcement came in, and it was a very, very scary time. He was young. But there was an officer just bent down and gave him a stick of gum, and that changed his whole world. And because of that interaction, he went into law enforcement. And sometimes we think it's like these huge, dramatic acts that take making a difference, but something sometimes it's as simple as a box of food that can have many, many positive ripples. And um, again, to tout Columbia Police Department, they were one of our first partners. They have been there since day one, August 2017, when we launched Greg's Groceries, and they have been a huge partner ever since, and it wouldn't be here without them. Oh, I'll tell you, I'm a true believer in our officers and their compassion. I've been enough with them to see them in situations where they're the only ones who had compassion in the situations, friends, family, et cetera, in situations were the least compassionate and the least helpful, which is, you know, where I struggle with that 
sense of community and how do you you tie that fabric back because everybody says housing everybody says this we all have our struggles everybody's had a struggle and how you overcome it um, it's our sense of community in our heart i told a story um today as a matter of fact i was speaking to a group and you know i said you know i had when i was young and my family moved here from overseas and my father died and I had a severe learning disability. I had to make a choice to go away to school. And, you know, I had to leave my mother who had no family, no support system. Um, I didn't know at the time that she had to take a second job to make sure that I could have this opportunity. But the three things she told me when she dropped me off was, you know, you got to work hard. Nobody gives anybody anything. It's up to you. Second thing, you got hurdles and challenges, but turn those into opportunities. So everything, if you approach it that way, you'll be able to do it. And the last thing she said is, after it's all said and done, don't remember to give back for what you've been given. And so I live that way. But what I've seen is I don't think people still have that sense of community. I mean, we grew up in an area where I could get in trouble with my neighbor just as much as I could get in trouble at home. If something happened, everybody came together and and supported that's what I want to try to build up that fabric. And I think it starts with pride. And I think it starts with our kids. And, you know, we've got some challenged neighborhoods that you know. I mean, it drives me crazy as I ride through the colony and other places and I see trash everywhere and the trash cans overfill. I don't think management's doing enough. I want, I, I want to see different things there. I want to see some community. I want to see those kids engage so that they go, you know what? This is not the norm. I'm not going to, I don't want this. I appreciate and I love your uh, passion for and focus on excellence. And I also think you can offer some grace. To, and I'm not saying that you're not, but this has been a really tough time for a lot of people. And I think we've got to offer each other a little bit of grace right now too and offer ourselves that grace you know, as you were talking, I was reminded of a story, um, like thinking about how do we build that sense of community. And so when we started our work here in Columbia back in 2018, we started by meeting weekly. And first, the meetings were really sparsely attended. And we kept at it. And then I had people showing up saying that they were waiting for when I'd give up. And then more and more people started coming. And one of those uh, individuals was a woman who lived in one of our higher crime neighborhoods. And she kept showing up. And through that, she connected with other women in her community and started becoming a leader in her own right. Together, a group of women started uh, the movement Charlotte's Girls, where they were reaching out and caring for other mothers in their community. And uh, on the, that f- winter of 2019, um, there were a lot of shootings. It was a pretty violent holiday season. And through this group uh, that met consistently, uh, we asked, you know, what should we do? And they wanted to take action, um, really call for peace in the community. And we hosted the first Empowerment for Peace Walk back in January of 2020. And it was a beautiful day, sun shining, and residents police officers marching side by side in some of the highest crime areas, the areas hit most for violence, calling for peace. 
And what I loved most was the young people that were leading the way. And the next day, they were the front page of the state newspaper. And uh, what we learned that there were some in the neighborhood that seemed to not really love the progress that was being made. And we became concerned that we could be putting residents at risk. And so at a follow-up meeting, we asked the hard question, should we stop this work? And that woman that I mentioned with tears in her eyes said that the work could not stop. She said the first day she came to our meeting was a day that she planned to take her own life, but that this work had given her a new sense of meaning and purpose. And she said before this work, she and her three small kids were sleeping in a tiny apartment uh, bedroom in the back of her apartment because she was afraid of stray bullets. But because of the work, she felt safer, and now they were sleeping in separate bedrooms. And think about what that does to have a good rest at night. And she said because of the work, she saw a light in her kids' eyes that she had never seen before. And so she said that the work could not stop. Now, that was January of 2020. We were in the midst of planning our spring outreach when the pandemic hit. And I'm proud of how the group sustained outreach for quite a long time. It's been a hard time. And I, I think, yes, these, a lot of these issues have been around for a long time. But there have also been a lot of good things that have happened. And we can't let the past two years erase all the good things that have been done. And I think we need to offer each other and ourselves a little bit of grace and say, yo, it's been hard. Let's take a deep breath. Let's connect. Let's heal. Let's pick up the pieces and let's move forward. And I believe there, I know firsthand, there are incredible people throughout our city and some of the most resilient, amazing people that I've had the pleasure of meeting in some of our areas that have been highest hit for violence. And um, I think we just need to take a deep breath and come back together and move forward. I'm going to go go off script again a little bit here just to because this has been pretty powerful. Um, what's your favorite pizza restaurant? Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. I love so much, like our people in Columbia. So I don't, I don't want to play too many favorites, but okay. So I live on the Forest Acre side of town. I drive from downtown down through, you know, Gervais and uh, El Bucato, man, has some pretty amazing pizza. Um, Il Focolari, amazing pizza as well. We are thankful in this city to have some really good pizza. Um, but that prosciutto with arugula, oof, so good. There are um, burrata melt, too. Oh, very, very good. Favorite ice cream? Oh, my word. Sweet cream. I love the creative flavors that they oh, have. What flavor makes you go all the way back downtown? Well, so I always love to try new things when I go there because I think that's part of the fun. So I don't think that's fair. And I'm not that much of a sweet tooth. Um, I will eat a basket of bread all day long. That's uh, my downfall. But, uh, but ice cream, I like trying new things. How about you? What's your favorite ice cream? From, from sweet cream, it would be the banana pudding. I, I think it's the best banana pudding mm. that's out there from, from an ice cream standpoint. It's just great. 
Um, I, I, I do have a sweet tooth. I, I think that's how you have to finish the meal. Even mm. if it's just a bite of something, I think you just not complete if you don't have something. Um, and for me, that could be a variety of things. It could be a Twizzler, which is what I've been on a kick lately. <laughs> I actually have some in my desk drawer at city hall and I'm about mid afternoon. I'm on a Twizzler kick. I don't know why all of a sudden I've been on this Twizzler kick, but, um, so Sal's some of his favorites, um, he and have you had that cookie skillet at Halls? <laughs> it is a next level. And you know, Mitch recently adopted Sal. Yep. And it was a beautiful day. Uh, but it was in it's the afternoon. It's a great picture. I saw oh, the picture thanks. it posted. It's really, really special, you know, and, and very, very hard things can come beautiful yeah. things. But the adoption was in the afternoon. So Sal's favorite is that cookie skillet. Uh, so we went uh, to Hall's before, and he had a pink lemonade and then, like, the entire cookie skillet. And then we also had bought cupcakes to bring to the courtroom. And um, as soon as he was eating, I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm kind of second-guessing my decisions here. But, um, but man, that – so long story short, that cookie skillet is pretty unbelievable. That is almost too decadent for me. <laughs> so good. I mean, I do cupcakes have a limit. down south too. Those cupcakes. That's a weak spot for me as well. Oof. I'm not a big. Their buttercream frosting is so good. I'm not a big frosting person, but theirs I can't resist. It's so funny because this time of year, I, I don't eat as much sweet stuff because all I want to eat is tomatoes, corn, squash, and okra. Oh, so good. And I can make it a thousand different ways every night, and I still want to eat it. Mm. I ride out to Lexington every weekend, and there's a little farmer I buy from, and um, he knows exactly what I want. Um, but, man, it's the best part about living in the South is mm. sweet corn, fresh oh, tomatoes. Yeah. The okra that just pops. Peach, Oof. little fresh peaches. I can eat that morning, noon, and night. It's <laughs> yeah. not a problem. Absolutely. Cassie, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know between Serve and Connect, your family, and, you know, Mitch coming in and, and, and really, you know, supporting everything you're doing and making sure that Greg's legacy doesn't disappear, which is, I think, you know, an incredible uh, thing in itself. Him, him and his... Um, commitment and compassion for Sal and the kids. I just, uh, you know, look, as you said, you've said it several times a day, good things happen out of bad things. This is a good thing. And thank you for what you're doing for our community. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on. Um, I've loved our work together so far and I look forward to that continuing. And something, if I could just to wrap up is, you know, I'm thankful to have been a part of this work, but I'm really just a part this was a spark that happened after greg was killed but the only reason it's grown has been because of our partners and absolutely positively would not have happened if not for our partners in columbia they've been unbelievable and really columbia police department Richmond county sheriff's department our incredible neighbors and partners in Columbia are to thank for how it's grown. And I'm proud to see how that little spark has, has grown into so many ripples, but I know that that's, I'm just a small part of it. It's really because of the people who have made it happen. And um, I'm proud of my team and I'm really proud of our partners. We can't let you go off without 
telling people how they can connect with Serve and Connect because I know there's a lot of people who want to do something and they don't know what their role is. And some people, as you know, they like to just give something or somebody wants to provide something or they want to go serve in a certain capacity. Tell everybody how they can connect with, with Serve and Connect. Well, we'd love them to get uh, get involved. Um, so you can find a Serve and Connect spelled out, uh, serve, A-N-D, connect.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Not TikTok? I mean, come no, on. No, I'm, I'm not that sad. I've just started doing reels, and I'm not good at them. I'm really trying. You probably I'm working have on a it. very talented young man in your house who could be the center oh of Oh, my reels. gosh. But then it would all be like just last night him doing walk like an Egyptian around the pool. That's what Serving Connects Instagram would be. So that's not a good idea, I may recommend. Um, but we'd love people to get involved. But really, you know, we'd love if the right fit is to get involved with Serving Connect. We'd love to, but... The biggest thing is get involved in our community. We can get very like, and I'm I'm guilty of it too, can get very rat racy, run of the mill, day to day. But we all play a role in helping Columbia become what it's capable of being. And that takes us uh, kind of stepping outside of our comfort zone and finding a way to reach out to a different a part of our community that's a little different from what we're used to. And there's so many opportunities to do that, whether it be our amazing festivals, our great nonprofit organizations, or showing up and supporting businesses that are maybe not your standards. It's so important. Um, our so. greatest asset are our people in Columbia, South Carolina, and we don't tell our story. And so as we continue part of the reason we do this podcast and the, te- the reason that we're constantly trying to tell stories is because we have so many incredible people and they don't, people don't know it. And so the more we can introduce, the more we can expose people to the talents, uh, the passions, the commitments, um, the individualism in our community, the better off we are. So, um, Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's a great afternoon, and I will tell you, this is the first episode that we've done that we haven't had a fire truck come by. <laughs> actually, really? Do we not? I thought we had one uh, last week. No, we're building a street. Oh man, <laughs> it, it, I might have called the fire chief and asked him to go a different direction after four on Thursdays, but uh, maybe not. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing y'all next time. Cassie, thanks for being here. Thank you so much.